Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. What's up, friends? In today's episode of the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, I sit down with someone who has inspired me personally, Sean Stevenson. We have a very lively discussion about food, food relationships, why eating with people you love can improve your health, specific foods that are clinically proven to improve your metabolic health, brain health, and even enhance your sleep quality. Again, we pick individual foods that have very interesting nutritional benefits. We talk about science-backed ways to make meals with friends and family more consistent and rewarding. I loved this conversation with Sean. He is a best-selling author and creator of The Model Health Show, which is featured as the number one health podcast in the U.S. with millions of listener downloads each year. What makes Sean so unique is he's an avid distiller of scientific information, and he does it in a very transparent way to bring you the best of the best information. This episode was so interesting to me and something that I can take with me and implement immediately with my family. He did a degree at the University of Missouri, St. Louis in nutritional sciences. He studied business, biology, went on to be the founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations worldwide. Sean Stevenson is a force of inspiration and goodness in the world. Now, without further ado, let's get right to the content. And as always, if you like this episode, please take a moment to like, share, subscribe, pay it forward. I provide this content free, and the only thing that I ever ask is that you help spread the word. Thank you to another one of our sponsors, and that is Timeline Nutrition. Timeline is an incredible company that makes an incredible product called MitoPure. And MitoPure is a urolithin A. It is the first and only clinically tested, highly pure form of the potent pomegranate postbiotic urolithin A. Wow, that is a mouthful. And what actually does it do? MitoPure helps our mitochondria produce energy more efficiently by triggering our body's natural cellular renewal process replacing damaged mitochondria with fresh new ones, addressing the energy challenge at its source. MitoPure is one of the most incredible products. And if you are interested in following a muscle-centric lifestyle, then this is truly something that will move the needle for you. It will improve muscle function and health. Head on over to TimelineNutrition.com slash Lion. And my community gets 10% off your first order. That's TimelineNutrition.com slash Dr. Lion. And you will get 10% off your first order. I truly believe in this supplement. I think it is going to be the next biggest thing when it comes to muscle health. 
Thank you to Cozy Earth for sponsoring this episode of the show. I absolutely love Cozy Earth. And in fact, I have recently provided the clay Cozy Earth queen sheets for my guest bedroom. So if you guys want to come over and visit, I am telling you, you're not going to want to leave. They are the most comfortable temperature regulating sheets that I have ever slept in. And in fact, they are so good that Cozy Earth will refund your purchase price plus shipping, no questions asked. You actually get 100 nights free to try them out. They are soft. They are silky. They are actually made from viscous, from bamboo, so it traps less heat. If you are having hot flashes, if your partner likes the place warm and you like it cool, Cozy Earth is the way to go. And for a limited time only, you will save up to 40% on Cozy Earth. Go to CozyEarth.com slash Dr. Lion, or you can enter my promo code at Dr. Lion at checkout. Save up to 40% now. That's CozyEarth.com slash Dr. Lion. Sean Stevenson, I am so excited to be able to sit down with you. You don't actually know this, but there are only a very handful of people that have had such a massive impact on me personally throughout this journey, throughout the podcast, um, especially my show. You are one of the big inspirations. And I don't think that you actually know that, do you? Not, Not in particular. <laughs> I mean, of course, I'm happy to hear that, but you know, to impact somebody like yourself is no. really special. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why. And one of there's two really big things that I've learned from you. Number one, never be afraid to share your voice, and the world needs to hear unapologetically what you have to say. Not only have I heard that from you, but I have witnessed you do it time and time again. And that has been so impactful for me personally, because um, believe it or not, I was very reluctant to start this podcast, which has done very well and also very reluctant to be on social media and do the kind of outreach that is necessary to change the world. And you do that. And the other thing that really struck me about you, and I've known you for a couple of years now, is your giving nature and your intention behind what you do. So not to embarrass you, <laughs> but um, those things really struck me and in a very meaningful way. So thank you for sitting down with me. Speaking on being intentional, which you are, you wrote this cookbook and you've written other books, but this one involves the family. Yeah. And I would love to hear the motivation behind that. Thank you. Well, first and foremost, you don't know this, but one of the big reasons that I shifted over from working in an office and, you know, really focusing on the kind of that one one on one clinical work is I wanted to influence influencers. I wanted to impact leaders. And so to hear you share that, it's just like that's exactly what I do this for and why I said yes to stepping up and to having, building up that resilience to go through all the things, because now it's starting to reach that tipping point. You know, somebody like you is so remarkable and you change my paradigm. Every time we talk, you change my perspective, my paradigm. 
and help me to look at things in a new way. And so that really does mean a lot. And, you know, this book for me is one of the most timely of all of the different pieces of the health conversation that's out there right now. And so many of them matter, but oftentimes, especially working as a clinician and working in service to help people, so many times we're targeting behavior change and we're trying to talk people into doing the right thing for themselves. Not understanding, unfortunately, that we're recommending this behavior change and then sending people back into an environment that is counter to that behavior change. And most of the time inundating them in the opposite, forcing them oftentimes to doing the thing that's creating the suffering in the first place. And so for years I've done this and we can be very good and clever at getting people to make those changes in, a, in an environment that is counter that, but it takes a tremendous amount of will that they have to develop. And yes, we can, we're very strong creatures, but we also are human and so even today we know things about decision fatigue and just the more that's piled on us, it is very difficult to make those changes in that environment. So fortunately it took me a while, but I realized that we need to address, and we do this even with chronic disease treatment, focusing on the root cause instead of treating the symptoms, right? The behavior outcome or the behavior change is still treating a symptom. The root cause of our decisions and the root cause of our health multiple health epidemics is the culture that we're existing in. And so once we can shift the culture, we can make the behavior change automatic. I I love that and it's so powerful. We talk all about the epidemiology, we talk all about the empirical data, the numbers, what to eat, how to eat it, how to cook it, but that never interfaces with the socialization and the culture of food where right now we have these conversations and the conversations that we have are eat this amount of protein, get it from here, do this. And then there's the political aspect and then the moral aspect of are you being a good person by how you're eating? When did you start to realize, did you have an aha moment that brought together? So where I see this book fit is I see this book bringing everything full circle. It is so beautifully done and it's so smart. It's bringing full circle back to all the knowledge and all the information that you put out there to create this, like redefining the home front as the place. Yeah. Did you have a moment of insight where you were like, we have to change this? Yeah, of course, recently we've seen relationships and family structures being even more fractured in many ways, while there simultaneously was many, many families that came together even closer. And just seeing all the unrest, seeing all the divisiveness, not just with families, but with our citizens as a society, you know, and just at a time when on paper, we're supposed to be more connected than ever, more understanding, more compassionate, all the things, but a lot of that is very superficial. And so my question was, could our interactions as a species, could this be the most powerful leverage point for changing our health outcomes? And already, of course, we know that many new research, new research have been publishing this data. And I shared, this was, I'm so excited to share this. 
I couldn't believe this study was out there, but this was conducted by researchers at Brigham Young University. They did this huge meta-analysis, and this was 148 studies, over 300,000 study participants, and they identified healthy relationships, having healthy social ties as the most powerful determining factor on people's health outcomes, more so than obesity, more so than quitting smoking. It was in a different stratosphere. As a matter of fact, they found that having healthy social ties resulted in about a 50% reduction in all-cause mortality, all right? So this is basically 50% reduction from dying from everything prematurely. And my question was, how, how is that possible? And what it really is is that our relationships so deeply determine what foods we're eating. Our relationships so deeply determine our exercise habits. Our relationships so deeply determine our mental health. The list goes on and on. It's really the tip of the spear. And if we understand that we are social creatures, truly, you know, even the most introverted among us, which I could definitely be introverted at the time, at times, but we require each other. We require input from each other and connection to each other. And we, our chemistry changes when we're around people that we care about. We know about obviously things like oxytocin, for example. This is one of the few compounds that kind of counteracts cortisol. And we know that stress is such a huge component in many of our biggest issues. As a matter of fact, some research was published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Med Medical Association not too long ago. They found that 60 to 80% of all physician visits are for stress-related illnesses. It's a huge component of our suffering. And our relationships are one of the most powerful buffers against that. But unfortunately, and I wasn't taught this in my university education either, how important it is to cultivate healthy relationships. We don't talk about it. We, we just kind of stumble upon it if we have some and we stumble upon quote bad relationships as well. We really don't understand. We're not taught in our culture how to build healthy relationships and also how to, avoid, how to avoid unhealthy relationships. It's just something that just happens versus this should be a key component of our education. And you know, to put the cherry on top of this, I don't know if you talked to him yet, uh, but Robert Waldinger mm -hmm. out of Harvard. So he's the most recent director of the longest running longitudinal study on human health and longevity. All right, so this is a Harvard study. It's been going on for over 80 years. They're passing the baton down to new directors. And he was actually sitting right here uh, in this room. And he was sharing with me that when he first became aware of this project, he didn't believe the data himself. He, he just didn't believe that, that, that our relationships were so impactful. So he sought out other scientists who were studying the same thing and it just became apparent. What they found was that our relationships are the number one determining factor on how long we're going to live. He couldn't believe it, but it's true. And on top of that is the number one determining factor, not just on how long we're going to live, not just our lifespan, but our health span. And again, it, it makes sense when you realize that our relationships, that culture that we're existing in is determining our behaviors. And I'm going to say one, one last thing about this. So many of our cultural inputs are subconscious. And what I mean by that is there are societies that exist today. They're still hunter-gatherer tribes, for example. They have a subconscious belief that if they don't move, they will die. Our survival is dependent upon us moving. We have to hunt. We have to procure our food. We have to gather. We have to prepare this food. 
If we don't move, we will die. We don't have that subconscious belief in our society. Movement is optional, more optional than <laughs> totally. it's ever been. Totally. You know, we were just talking about DoorDash right before we got started. You know, we can have food put right in our hand. We don't have to get our butt out of the chair. And so it's baked into the culture that you move. Whereas, again, we've kind of been devolving on that front where movement is concerned. And also the same thing with food and nutrition and what we're eating, because our cravings are cultural. We crave things that we've been exposed to. And so- Our cravings are cultural. Yeah, yeah, our cravings are cultural because existing in what we evolved in, the conditions that we evolved in as a species, we're going to be driven towards eating certain things. And there's this really interesting phenomenon of something called post-ingestive feedback, right? Post-ingestive feedback. So through our evolution, and even today, we're experiencing this, but we don't realize it. When we eat a food, we'll just say we eat some, some cherries, right? We eat some wild cherries that we find. And our body, when we eat that food, it's essentially our cells are taking notes on what it found in that food the details on those nutrients. We got some, you know, some anthocyanins, we got these amino acids, we found some, a dense source of melatonin in a, in a food, in a fruit. Well, that's interesting. And so our cells are taking notes. And over time, as we would become deficient on those key nutrients that we found in that food, we would develop a craving for it, right? Our bodies would tell us what to go and eat. Have you ever wondered why Animals eat certain things in nature when left to their own devices. Why do they eat that thing? Why do they eat that thing? Our cells, we have an inner intelligence that already knows. And so now with that post-ingestive feedback, food scientists have really muddied up those waters a lot because now certain flavors are not relegated to certain foods. There's an invention called a gas chromatograph, for example, where they can identify the chemistry to make up that cherry flavor. I'm learning something. I am like mind blown right now. I'm <laughs> learning stuff that I had no idea. So now we could take that cherry flavor and we can add it to soda. We can add it to candy. We can add it to ice cream. No cherries necessary. We can add it and make a juice, a cherry juice. No cherries necessary. We have the chemistry. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't have to taste exactly the same but it's just enough to muddy up those metabolic waters and that communication, that post-ingestive feedback. The cravings that we would normally have are now getting mutated into something else. And so, of course, there are components of vanishing caloric density and bliss point and all these different things that food scientists have kind of manipulated with our biology. But the bottom line is cravings are cultural. We're going to crave what we've been exposed to. We cannot villainize the fact that humans have crazy cravings or we're driven to eat certain things. We've always wanted to seek out stuff that tastes good. That's what makes us want to eat it. But with that being said, we now exist in a culture to where we're craving things that aren't even real food anymore, right? 60% of the average American adult's diet is ultra processed food. This is published in the BMJ. But with the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook, this is the first book that's detailing this recently published study, published in JAMA, looking at our kids' intake of ultra-processed food. And this was a 20-year study. The researchers found that in 1999, the average American child's diet was made of 61% ultra-processed food. By 2018, it was almost 70% of our children's diet is now made of ultra-processed fake food. And so these are the things that we're craving now as a culture, whereas people in that hunter-gatherer tribe would have cravings and a drive towards 
eating real food, right? Natural fruits, vegetables, nuts and seeds, animal products, things that they've been exposed to that we evolved eating. And so we're dealing with a different culture scape right now. But what this mission is really about is taking the power back into our hands and creating a microculture in our own home that makes healthy choices automatic. How do we do that? What What are some of the biggest obstacles you think for creating a culture, a healthy culture within our homes? How, yeah, what are they and how do we circumvent that? That's such a great question. For me, one of the most important things with any kind of success is removing the obstacle, right? It's the same paradigm with treatment. Again, treating the symptom instead of the root cause. Let's remove the cause so that it makes this process so much easier. So one of the things preventing us from leveraging this is we no longer intentionally, for most of us, most families, unfortunately, myself included, we're not proactively creating a culture of wellness. We're just, we're a product of our environment, absolutely. But we're also creators of our environment if we become aware of it. So for me, I was just a product of our, my environment growing up in the inner city, growing up in poverty, in a condition where we would get food from charities, you know, we were on government assistance programs, all these things. Most of our diet, we're inundated, we're surrounded by ultra processed food. I didn't know that there was a difference. And by the way, just so we have a distinction on what the difference is, let's let's clear this up because humans- please, yes, please. Humans have been processing foods forever, all right? If you cook a food that is processing that food and, you know, whether we're taking a, a yam and baking it or cooking meat or taking an olive and pressing the oil out, that is a process. With that being said, humans have been doing that a long time. As a matter of fact, one of the foods that I pointed out in the, in the new cookbook, and by the way, there's over 250 I scientific believe, references. I, I could not <laughs> believe it. Uh, I could not believe how well done this book is. Thank you, thank Just, you. This is in, this is a paradigm shifter because mm -hmm. that amount of science has never been put into a cookbook before, let alone laid out in a fun way, in a beautiful way, and a way that is empowering for everybody. Very user time. friendly. It's it's so user friendly. So one of these foods that I targeted in the book, I identified over forty specific foods that have mind blowing benefits that are seen in high quality peer reviewed data. And one of those foods is olive oil. And olives are historic. They're mentioned in books for centuries. There's something really special about that fruit. It's a fruit. And that particular oil, this oleocanthal rich substance that should be bottled in dark glass. We naturally do that. We've done that for centuries as well, our ancestors knew there's something really special about this oil, but it's sensitive. It's even sensitive to light as well. So bottle in dark glass, extra virgin, means that it's cold temperature processed, so it's not heat treated. And traditionally it's a stone pressing. And what these researchers at Auburn University found was that this food is one of the few foods ever discovered that has the potential to repair the blood brain barrier after damage. And what they found was that this food can help to reduce neural inflammation, which is a huge problem right now that's not being talked about. Yeah. In particular, and this is from researchers at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, they found that hypothalamic inflammation, so 
the HPA axis. This is the tip of the spear. Yeah. Largely can be considered a master gland, if not the master gland in the body. It's the integration point of our endocrine system and our nervous system. And it's really setting, I like to think of it as the thermostat for your metabolism, right? It's right, the thyroid is along that super highway, the HPA axis. Your gonads are right along, your adrenals, all the things. But they found that hypothalamic inflammation is directly leading to increased levels of downstream belly fat and insulin resistance. And they found that excessive belly fat and insulin resistance was creating more inflammation in the brain. And this is happening. This vicious circle is getting created. And a lot of people, we're not talking about addressing the inflammation in your brain to help downstream with losing body fat. And in particular, of course, with gaining muscle, by yeah, the way. Yeah, of course. When talking the, with the you. listeners know, yes. And so the last little piece of this is olive oil has the potential to reduce inflammation in the brain, helping those downstream outcomes that we want to change. And that's really, really special. So, but also, okay, you know about these great benefits. We'd have a question about olive oil. Does yeah. olive oil have, can it be heated or it's not heated, right? You would, you keep it cold pressed. If you heat it, will it destroy any of those low molecular weight molecules? It's a great question. And we've got to understand, yes, when we heat anything, it's going to change the chemistry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it is relatively stable okay. to a certain degree. You know, we talk about things like the smoke point and all this stuff. Personally, I would not utilize olive oil as my primary cooking oil, but you can cook with it and it's okay. You're still going to be able to strike a lot of benefits. Primary? Something that is more stable, higher in saturated fat. So ghee, grass-fed butter, uh, coconut oil, tallow, things like that. Mm. And again, humans have been cooking with those for centuries and as I, well. I think also what you're saying is important because... Um, people that are not well-equipped in the kitchen, like myself, we wouldn't necessarily know, well, do I use the olive oil or do I use the tallow, all of these things with a, a higher smoke point. And I think that that makes a lot of sense that it's not just the foods that you pick, but also how you're utilizing them, which exactly. I'm sure went into a lot of the recipe selection of the book. Was there anything shocking that you found or you during your research that you were just mind blown that either positive or negative that you just didn't expect? Well, this actually ties in to your earlier question of what's kind of blocking us from getting these benefits culturally. And, and this is really at the heart of even why I wrote this book is the impact that eating with our family has on our health outcomes, especially for children. And this was really highlighted first and foremost, what sent me on this path was this massive amount of research conducted about family eating behaviors and food choices, health outcomes that was conducted by some researchers at Harvard. And what they found was that families that eat together on a regular basis have a significant increase in consumption of real whole foods, fruits and vegetables, and in particular, key micronutrients that help to prevent chronic diseases. There's something going on here with eating with your family and eating more nutrient-rich foods. And they noted significantly reduced intake of ultra-processed foods, namely chips and soda they had identified in this study. And I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is crazy. Is there more research on this? And I found so much and I couldn't believe it. Two studies all combined together. One was published in pediatrics. The other was published in JAMA. 
these researchers found that eating just three meals per week, and they found a, a minimum effective dose. I love it. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Three meals a week with your family led to significantly reduced incidence of, of obesity developed in those children, in those families, and significantly reduced disordered eating. Three meals wow, per week that's created so this kind of like insulation from obesity and from eating disorders within those kids. Now, where does this tie in for me? And like, because again, some of these things for people, unfortunately, we tend to have a lot of objections as well. Like, well, that's good for you. You know, maybe you can eat with your family. I can't. The environment that I come from, I already set up. I, I can't even, I struggle to say this because growing up in poverty in the U.S. is different from other places in the world. All right. In the U.S., if you're living in poverty, you probably still have a TV. We had the Nintendo, but it, maybe we get a year or two later, but we still had one. And also you might, you probably have a car. A lot of times, of course, we were taking the bus and things like that, public transportation. But my mom, this is a true story. She would get cars from this place called OK Junk Cars. She would get this Ford Escort like on repeat. Every time one breaks down, she'd get another Ford Escort. But you still have opportunity. You still have access to certain things that other people don't in different countries. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, it's a different reality. But with that being said, it was very hard. It, it was absolutely difficult. And so I was wondering, would this apply for me living in a low-income environment? And I came across a wonderful study that was looking at health outcomes and eating behaviors of minority children who would generally be in the context of a low-income environment. And they found that for these children, if they ate with their families just four meals per week, and this could be any meal, four meals per week, those children ate five servings of fruits and vegetables five plus days a week, just this simple act of eating together and significantly less intake of ultra processed foods, chips and soda. And the researchers noted in particular when the TV was never or rarely on. And so had my family known that eating together would create some kind of health benefit or insulation from disease for the children of the family, we would have done it. My family wanted to do well, but we all had some form of a chronic disease. My, my, Little brother had chronic asthma. He was in and out of the hospital throughout the year. My sister, terrible eczema, just all these patches of this terrible, like it's just, it, it, it tortured her. My mother, obesity, diabetes, stepfather, addiction, obesity, and me, chronic asthma. And for me, I was the one in the family that was the quote skinny kid until the age of 20, I get diagnosed with a degenerative disc disease and degenerative bone disease, I have this advanced arthritis of my spine. Oh my gosh, I had right? no idea, yeah. And I broke my hip at track practice. You know, I was excelling as a track athlete. I ran a four, four, 440 when I was just, what, uh, 16, 15, 16 years old. And so everything was looking good, but I was doing a 200 meter time trial with my coach and I broke my hip from running because my bones were so brittle. Mm. And nobody stopped to ask, how did a kid, you know this, Stuff like that is usually relegated for people at advanced age. Absolutely. How could that happen for a child? And so I didn't realize at the time that I was making my tissues out of all this low quality food. That's upwards of 90% of the food that I ate on a daily basis was ultra processed food. And this is not, I'm not exaggerating. And just to hear the numbers what, and already. And what kind of foods would that be? Like oh, Twinkies? Let me give you, a, uh, let me give give you me, the day in the day. life. Give me a day in the life. All right, so in the morning, I'm knocking down some cereal of some sort. You know, at the time, probably I was really into Tony the Tiger. 
you know, the frosted flakes mm -hmm. and, um, you know, maybe grab a banana. That would be some kind of whole food would be in the mix there, maybe some kind of piece of fruit. And then for lunch at school, I would get a personalized pepperoni pizza and I would get a pretzel with cheese and dip the pizza into the cheese. What? And by the way, that's not really cheese, all right? They probably le legally couldn't Def call it, it cheese. definitely was not Cheese really product, cheese. Yeah. that's what it was. And then, you know, before practice, you know, working, you know, being a football athlete, track, I'd go to the vending machine, you know, get some kind of chips or cookies, uh, Gatorade or something like that. And a lot of the marketing I started to see during that time period in high school where these companies would come to our school and give out free samples, right? Whether it literally was like little boxes of um, Rice Krispie Treat cereal or Surge uh, energy drink, right? Soda, Mountain Dew, and these people, these companies are literally coming into our school and giving free products to the kids. And we love it. And then post-practice for dinner, when, when I eat at home, again, nine times out of 10, we're eating some kind of ultra-processed meal. A lot of times it was fast food. And, you know, sometimes, if my, and here's the craziest part about this. This is the irony. My, my stepfather was an executive chef at Morton's of Chicago. All right. Wait, how is that possible? Did yeah. he ever come home and cook? A lot of times he wouldn't be there. Mm. Again, trying to make ends meet in this low-income environment. And by the way, the, the data now is indicating how living in these conditions and dealing with a chronic disease, it makes it more likely that you will stay in these conditions, all right? And so those times, and I'm gonna share a really powerful food experience with him though, but whenever he would cook, it would be amazing. Absolutely, my mother is an amazing cook. But over time, one of her mantras that she would say is, I'm tired. I'm tired, I'm tired, Sean. And she was working overnight at a convenience store for a time period. But again, living in this volatile environment, people don't understand because you would hear this and be just like, just work harder, you know, figure it out. Working at that convenience store one night, she was stabbed eight times. Oh my gosh. You know, somebody was trying to rob the store. And, um, but my mom is different. She's, she's alive and well today right now, by the way. Um, but she fended off the guy, you know. Hi um, mom. Yeah, <laughs> what's up mom? And, you know, he was apprehended by the police. But when she went in for treatment and to get stitched up after her procedures, the physician told her, if you weren't a heavy set woman, you would have died. You being overweight saved your life. And I, I, I was a child when this happened. I was like eight years old and I'll never forget hearing her say that. She was actually talking to a friend. And do you think she's gonna be in a hurry to lose what saved her? Right, that psychological aspect of this. And so living in these conditions, oftentimes our parents are kind of missing each other. We're all kind of scattered. There's not a sense of order. But many times, at least one parent would be there. And had they known that eating together with us could have protected our health in some way, we would have done it, despite us not having a lot of resources. And to this day, one of the most foundational core memories I have is one of those days when my stepfather was home and we we're opening the cabinets like, we don't have anything to eat, we're hungry. You know, I'm opening the refrigerator. I'm like, we don't have anything to eat. We don't, I'm hungry, we're hungry. Me and my little brother and sister. And he looked around and in the cabinet, there was some tomato sauce and we had some Texas toast that was probably like from WIC program or something like that, which is like some thick cut bread. Right. There was government cheese, which if you don't 
know about government cheese, you can't understand government cheese. Um, but it doesn't melt very well, but it pretty, tasted pretty good. This is block cheese. And there was some deer sausage in the freezer that my grandfather had, you know, when he, he went hunting and he packaged up and sent us some. And at the time, I'm a kid, I wasn't in a hurry to eat Bambi, you know, personally, <laughs> but I didn't know that that's what it was. So what he did was he took those four ingredients and some spices and he made pizza out of those ingredients. And it was one of the most beautiful moments. And by the way, the pizza, it didn't taste like Little Caesars, all right? Yeah. It didn't taste like Definitely Domino's. Definitely not with deer, deer on there, yeah. <laughs> but the fact that I was having pizza like kids love pizza and he made pizza. I, it invoked a, a, a core memory about how deprivation can lead to creativity. How being in this environment that might be lacking resources develops more resourcefulness. And he found a way to create something special. And the fact that I was eating with him was so special, you know? That is, that's amazing. That's really, um... thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode of the show. Inside Tracker is a company that allows you to test your own blood biomarkers. Why is that important? Because everybody should know what is going on with their body. Typically, when we talk about science, it's never a science of I, but it really needs to be. You need to be able to know where your blood levels are. You need to know where your insulin levels are for healthy aging. You need to know where your ApoB is as a cardiovascular risk factor. Inside Tracker allows you to analyze your blood. It has a capacity to look at your DNA, fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you have work to do. Head on over to Inside Tracker and you will get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lion. This is a service that I personally use and they do a phenomenal, phenomenal job. You have access to that too. Insidetracker.com slash Dr. Lion. Thank you to First Form for sponsoring this episode of the show. And as always, as we talk about a healthy lifestyle, a healthier gut, more energy, a better immune system, then we have to talk about Opti Greens. Opti Greens is a way to get your phytonutrients, a ton of superfoods, digestive enzyme, probiotics, complete green powder. OptiGreens 50 is a blend of eight organic grasses and greens, delivers the nutrients of a two ounce shot of juiced greens. And I don't know if you guys have ever done a shot of greens, but I am telling you that is rough. Yeah, it's, it's just rough. This takes the challenges out of it, makes it super easy, tastes great. Head on over to firstform.com slash Dr. Lion, and you will get free shipping with $75 or more. That's free shipping with $75 or more. OptiGreens is a great addition to your plan. I know for me, it's very difficult to get fruits and vegetables in. I am just busy and this is an easy way to do it. Head on over to First Form, check out their OptiGreens 50 blend. 
powerful. Everyone must be so proud of you, of what you've done and the impact that you're having on the world is, is truly profound. Um, truly. In your house, how do you set the culture? Yeah, that's, that's the question. That? That's the question. So as I mentioned, you know, we are a product of our environment, unknowingly oftentimes, but we're also creators of our environment. And I can see these, these things, these tenets that we talk about play out in the real world and the outcomes with my, myself, my brother and sister, and starting to replicate behaviors in that environment, right? Replicating the violence, replicating the kind of inflammatory, volatile, uh, tendencies and also replicating the fear. You know, if there was one energy or if you were to ask me, like, what was the main feeling that you felt in that environment? It would be fear. I felt that in my own household as well. And, but there was also love there. There's also love in the environment, but you also have to be on guard, you know, because there could be somebody driving by and shooting, you know, and we live very close to you know, there's a walkway separating our apartment from where crack was being cooked and sold. And so living in these conditions, you have to find out how to live and manage yourself in those conditions. And so what happened to me, even as I was, you know, excelling in school um, and going on to be the first person in my family to go to college, let alone graduate. <laughs> is this where your Thank interest you. in nutrition came from? This is, and this is exactly where the transition took place is, you know, I'm carrying these behaviors with me. And so there's a lot of that associated fear had me very closed off. And so I definitely had lone wolf syndrome big time as a protective mechanism. So I didn't trust people. I was very kind of isolated. I still had friends and, you know, different girls I'd mess with and that kind of thing. Um, shout out to my wife, by the way, who I met in college um, towards the end. But, you know, I was still, I didn't trust people. And it was holding me back because if you're gonna do anything of great success in this life, and you know this too, it's gonna be with and through other people. And so, but because my health was so poor and I didn't realize the interconnection between my physical health and my mental health and my perspective, but going through that condition with my spine and, you know, my, degeneration with my bones and getting this prognosis from my physician that when he put the MRI up for me to see, he said that I had the spine of an 80 year old man. And as I'm just like, okay, so what do we do to fix this? And this is where my interest in nutrition, the first domino started. I didn't really have a reference point to ask him this. You know, I'm 20 years old. I asked him, does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? And I think this—it might have been like a Back to the Future thing. I go back, and my old self asked, my new self asked this question. But when I said that, when I asked him, "Does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? Should I change the way I'm exercising?" I didn't understand why my spine was degenerating like that. And like you could, if you were looking at my L4 and L5S1 disc, they look black. They were so degenerated. They should be light should be shining through them. When I asked him, "Does this have anything to do with what I'm eating?" He looked at me like I was from another planet. And he said, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. This is something that just happens. And I'm sorry that it happened to you, son. We're gonna get you some medication. We're going to help you to manage this. But I'm sorry, this is something you're gonna to have to deal with. And you know the power of the placebo and the nocebo. I do, yes. So, you know, taking that message in that there was nothing I could do about this 
I embodied that in that moment because he was the authority figure. He knew better about me than I knew about me at the time, even though I lived with myself. And a part of the story that I hadn't talked about for years is that my phys that physician was significant. He was morbidly obese. He was around 300 pounds. And I remember him like his body sitting on me as he's examining me, you know, as his belly is on me. And he's telling me about health. And not to say that he didn't know and wasn't great at what he was doing. And also not to say that he wasn't trying to get certain results, but what he was doing was not leading to the outcomes that he wanted. And I was taking advice from a culture that was unwell in that setting. And I sought out, fortunately, second, third opinion, same bill of goods, same diagnosis. I walked out of there with a new prescription, a new little note for bed rest so I didn't have to work. So not only am I is my spine atrophying in my bones, but now everything else is. Because now I went from at least semi-active to doing nothing because I was afraid. And I was told, they told me not to. So what do you think is gonna happen? Now I'm losing all this muscle, right? And it's just snowballing downward. And everything changed when fortunately, you know, having those little moments of light in your life, it could be a family member, you know, it could be a moment of insight, could be a chance, seemingly chance interaction. It took two years and now the skinny kid in the family is now pushing 200 pounds myself on my frame, which was, you know, I was, I was significantly overweight. And, you know, I just thought about my family, you know, in particular my grandmother and just, I was the one who was supposed to make it out of these conditions. And here I am, the worst off of all. And, and this is very simple, there's something it's this really interesting phenomenon in the human brain. It's called instinctive elaboration. And so if you ask yourself a question, we're constantly asking ourselves questions, but it really points your focus. And so we all have a dominant question that we're always asking. You know, some people are asking, you know, how can I get people to like me? Um, how can I, how can I feel better? You know, how can I make it through today? Whatever the question might be. For me, I was asking on automatic, why me all the time? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why won't somebody help me? Why can't I stop this pain? And you find answers to affirm what you're asking, right? You're finding evidence to your filter. We find our filter. And so in that moment of thinking about my grandmother and living up to what was expected of my life, I asked a different question and it changed everything. I simply asked, how can I feel better? What can I do? to feel better. I never asked that. I never thought about what I could do because I was outsourcing my potential to everybody else. And it's not like, you know, I found a you know magic lamp or something and everything changed, but it changed my perspective and I put a plan together. Part of that was my low-hanging fruit, which was exercise. And I asked, okay, if my bones are degenerating in my spine, what are they made of? So now I'm looking for certain foods and certain key nutrients that make up these tissues and also my sleep because that was my biggest struggle. It wasn't like I knew anything about the science around this subject, but my biggest struggle was trying to sleep at night. If you're not sleeping, you're not healing. And I was on medication for that as well. Wow, you know? so young. 20, 20 so 22 young. years old, I got a plethora of medications. The main one I was put on initially was Celebrex. Yeah. 
which one of the side effects, which had not been noted at the time, was restless leg syndrome. Yes. So it felt That's like my horrible. legs were trying to get up and go for a jog yes. when I'm trying to get some sleep, right? But at, at the same time, I could have been put on Vioxx, another non-steroidal yep. anti-inflammatory that ended up killing at least 40,000 Americans confirmed, upwards of 60,000, not to mention hundreds of thousands of cardiovascular events, right? And it was just a, a notepad away. And a lot of young people died from that. Mm. And so that's the paradigm that I was operating in and bringing us to this point, you know, with this project is, you know, my passion for nutrition and focusing on that in school was when I understood that even with our muscle, for example, this is literally made from the, from the materials that you give your body. If you don't provide your body with those raw materials, it's going to do the best it can. Humans are, our bodies are resilient at adapting, but a lot of the things that we put the label on as a disease, this is your body making adaptations to continue to function and keep you alive under unideal circumstances. And so my passion for nutrition was really because that was my bridge. Because as I started to provide my body with this different input, because food isn't just food, it's information. Now, not only is my body changing, and now I'm giving my body all these nutrients that truly, omega-3s, are you kidding me? Like, I might've went years without getting a viable source of omega-3s, truly. Some of my favorite foods, as I mentioned, you know, I for dinner, I would eat a family can of SpaghettiOs, right? That was my, one of my favorites, or a box of Velveeta shells and cheese if I had a couple extra dollars to get fancy. You know, like, literally, I was living like that and eating fast food every day. And so the last part here is, once I saw the power of food to change my physical body, but also I didn't know the side effect would be my mind change, you know? And I started to become, tap into that creativity and to see more opportunity. And most importantly, it opened me up to connect with other people because it was through people that I found all of these solutions. A person that I had known for years that I would hang out with is the first person to take me to a quote health food store. There was one Whole Foods in all of St. Louis, which is a big ass city. It is big, yeah. And there was one Whole Foods and there was one Wild Oats who's since been bought up by Whole Foods. I'd known her for years, but after I made the decision to get well and ask what can I do to feel better, within a week, she's taken me to Wild Oats of the 50 times we hung out before. You know, her and her weird, she was in chiropractic school, right? And I just thought she was just super weird, her and her yeah. weird friends. And she but takes me to this anyway. place. And I, but I, it's because my, my filter had changed and there were books there. And of course, like me being somebody who is, you know, in school and very acclimated with research and, and kind of, you know, doing well in school, I'm just looking for references. Like I'm very skeptical kind of by nature. And there were books in there with all these scientific references of like this particular, like I mentioned omega-3s. I had no idea that that mattered for my bone density. I had never heard that before, like what? And I'm just like, how do I find this? And first I became a natural pill popper because just like, oh, these isolated nutrients. Fair, fair. But eventually that evolved into food, which has this underlying intelligence. And we only still know a fraction about what's in food, right? I, I agree with that. I yeah. absolutely agree with that. When you, so this cookbook is is actually, it's so much more than a cookbook. It really is a culture shifting book about how we can come together as a family, create a microculture, and feed our bodies good foods. Um, 
I'm so I have a personal question I want to ask. I'm, I'm curious, as you started learning, did those old habits from childhood follow you? Or did they just drop off? Was there a transition that happened for you? You're the best. This is such a good question. And it was it's both, you know, and the same thing. This is really how the brain changes. As we repeat behaviors, we lay down more myelin, you know, kind of insulating that firing. You know, we say that neurons that fire together wire together and to make behaviors automatic, but also you could change your brain significantly with an emotionally charged event, right? And we know that some of the most emotionally charged things in our lives are the most, are the brightest memories, you know, whether it's a negative memory or a positive memory. And so with that being said, it's both, you know, so certain behaviors over time kind of whittled away and others were dropped instantaneously. For me, the biggest thing, and I've seen this also with all the thousands of people I've had the opportunity to work with, being able to leverage our psychology, a huge part of that is just awareness. Like there's so much that I just didn't know. I didn't know that there was a difference in the food that I was eating. I had no idea. I had no idea that there was a difference with like wild caught salmon and the fish sticks that I loved. You know, I just, they both were fish, that's it, you know? And so just the awareness that there's a difference here in the inputs that I'm giving my body, significant difference, that lit a fire under me to get the best stuff. And also you gotta deal with deserving, you know, am I deserving of this thing? And address the psychological barriers to doing those good things for yourself and investing in yourself. But I've never met one person in all my years of work, I've been in this field for 21 years, who didn't want to be healthy. Never, not one person. We might have stories about why we can't be healthy, right? It's too hard, it's too expensive, I don't have the support, um, I don't deserve it, right? We can develop learned helplessness because we've tried so many things and we don't get the result, right? It's not reserved for me, that's for those people. There's There can be a story, but if we could choose, everybody would choose health, if we could choose. And so what it really boils down to and to tie everything together is those cultural shifts, we have to realize that there's a larger kind of meta or larger culture scape that we're existing in, but we can create a microculture in our own household, but that starts with us, right? And so with my family, one of the things that I employed, and I've been able to replicate this with countless other families as well, is intentionally creating certain family bonding or rituals. And we evolved doing this stuff. There was, there was a synchronicity or rituals with so many aspects of our lives. And a lot of that has been abandoned. And our friend Bedros, for example, is rekindling, for example, the rite of passage that young men go through that we don't have really in our culture. We stumble into a lot of this stuff. And so there really isn't any guidance. And so in particular around food, we just got back, we went to Hawaii for the first time and we got to see the dramatization of the luau, right? And it's one of those things you just go to, okay, some dancing and food, whatever, they come out with the pig on the, on the stick. But it's a, it's a reenactment of something that we've been doing forever as a species. We hunt together, we gather together, we prepare food together, we eat together, we celebrate together as a tribe. Over time, we've been becoming more and more distant from each other, isolated into our little buildings, right? There was even a time when that isolation started to happen where families would at least have extended family nearby. Now we're, we're very isolated. And my question was, again, is there something 
protective about eating together that's been taken away. And now the data indicates that yes, that's that's the case. And so knowing that this is happening, by the way, friends are included in this too. It's not just family, but friends as well. I proactively made it a, a mandate that we ate together throughout the week, at least- When did know, this start? This started when I lived in Ferguson, Florida, oh Missouri. So you recognize, so you've been doing this with your family. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't know but specifically. Did, as you became more successful and as, you know, you go through a push phase, did, was there a period of time where that fell off and then you realized that, that this, we have to come for full circle? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, this trial and success, but also this gets to back to what was the biggest obstacle, one of the biggest obstacles, one of them was the TV. All right. And I, by the way, I love, all right, we're living in the golden age of television. All right. No matter what you're into, there's. I don't know. If I have to watch Ugly Dolls one more time with my <laughs> four year old. Hey, but it's out there, yeah, you know, yeah. catered to everybody's got their thing. And, um, but I realized that, for example, you know, while I was doing my homework, um, you know, when I was in, in my university still, and I was working as a personal trainer at the university gym. And I would put on the Cardinals game. I'm from St. Louis, so it's baseball heaven. All right, that's what we call it. No disrespect to any other team, all right? But it's just what we had, you know? Um, the Rams were there for a little stint of time, the Blues, but we didn't have any other like, you know, basketball, that kind of thing. We're big baseball city. So I would put the game on and each baseball game, by the way, it was like, that's a three and a half hour, three and a half hour investment. We went to a lot of baseball games too, but. And I, I put on pretty much every game and I knew batting averages, you know, I knew so much about, I knew about their kids, whatever, you know, just like so much information about these players. But one day it hit me as I had the game on that I was watching them be extraordinary. I spent so much time watching them be extraordinary and investing in them and not in myself. And I really, that's one of those cold turkey moments where I stopped paying for cable. And, you know, at this point, I just, my wife and I were married. And having, not having cable at this time, this was, we'll just say 2000. Was she on board with that? So... <laughs> Anne's like, um, <laughs> no. She was really, we were both in the this... way that you think is very innovative and that can, yeah. that's experienced now. And what we're getting at and what I'm hearing is the thought innovation as you know, you've created and are creating a legacy. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Let me tell you the superpower in this was her mother. My mother-in-law to this day is my greatest teacher in nutrition, in health. She's the one who really shifted my paradigm, but I was open and I was seeing things differently when I met her. That's part of the package deal that I got. And so, you know, her guidance, like she, she'd been teaching meditation for like 40 years or 30 years or something at that point. I didn't know what that was. And um, also after I'd really transformed my health to a significant degree, the regeneration, you know, of my, my disc. Now I didn't have, I had two herniated discs that had retracted and I could see the light shining through my disc again. And this was like month, nine months after that decision and getting a scan done. But, and now I, you know, my, body had just transformed, you know? And um, at that point now people, all these people had asked me for help, just walking around my campus, it was crazy. Um, but after that, I still had seasonal allergies that I would end up in the ER for, all right? And I just thought it was just, that was just my, my life. And so 
I'm with my wife at the time. It's my she's my girlfriend at this at this time, and she takes me to the ER because I can't breathe at night. You know, it's just like I was really struggling, and you know they give me prescription antibiotics. Of course, they didn't see is this even a bacterial infection probably, but I just wanted something. You know, and then we stopped by her mother's house on the way back to my place, and you know her my, her mother came up to me. And she was just like, yeah, so my daughter tells me that you are having this hay fever. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's the weather, you know. And she was like, is the problem out there or is the problem in you? And it's just like, that's one of those moments where time froze. And I was just like, I'm blaming outside. I'm blaming the world and life and the weather and the environment for something that's internal. And of course, there's an interface, there's an interconnection to these things. But I was focused on this thing outside. And there were certain things that, with my nutrition that I was doing that was hurting me still. You know, at the time I had a big allergic response when I was eating dairy. That was just for me at the time, by the way. I'm not anti-dairy in any means, but I'm getting, you know, quote, organic dairy from Whole Foods and whatever. But I'm dealing, I'm I'm having a mucus response, like a lot of mucus buildup post any kind of dairy that I was consuming at the time. And this histamine reaction is just making me more sensitive. I pulled dairy out, never had another problem, never. Not any kind of asthmatic symptoms, any of that stuff ever since. And by the way, I could I could uh, dabble in a little dairy now and it's all good. But at the time, that was a thing that was creating this hyper kind of inflammatory response, you know? And so having her as a package deal helped me to build the culture. Right, and to this day, I one of my proudest moments is her being able to see me doing this work because she passed the baton to me, you know, and to be able to impact the lives of millions of people at this point is just really special. It is, and you carry those behaviors forward now in in your own family. Are there certain things that you guys do together? For example, do you set the table together? Do you clean together? Are there things that you review that happen during the day? I mean, what are kind of your ways in which you navigate that that culture yeah. right now? So even tying in the, the TV piece. So we can get together and watch a game or watch our favorite show and have a meal. That's totally fine. It's just, are you having that FaceTime in the real world, real FaceTime with the people that you love. And so we've made that a consistent part. So it might be those three, that three minimum a week. And by the way, it changes. And another tip for everybody, we have to give ourselves grace. When we find out this information and we like, maybe we're telling our kids who are like gaming right now, Dr. Lion had on this guy, scientist, he said we gotta eat together, so get off your device. You know, it's just- I am definitely using that. <laughs> And so it's understanding, you know, the culture that we exist in where there's a lot of screen time, you know, and our, we're addicted to our devices. Our devices can be very divisive in, in many ways, you know, and so, and ironically, it's supposed to be bringing us together. But understanding our addiction, we have to replace that with something of greater or equal value. Just ripping the bandaid off and going cold turkey is not necessarily the way to go about it. And so, it's not that we still didn't have time where we, we might, my wife and I, by the way, we'd like maybe throw on a Bruce Lipton, you know, cell biologist lecture and eat dinner or something sometimes. 
But a lot of times we just ended up eating together because the TV didn't have anything good on, <laughs> you know, because we yeah. didn't have cable anymore. Yeah. And having that FaceTime with our family, especially with my mother-in-law, which we ended up we ended up eating a lot together, whether it was at her house or at our house. And it just like naturally happened when we took away that that thing that was really the kind external of- external distraction. Exactly. And again, we know that the data is indicating how that leads to the consumption of more ultra processed food. My son just yesterday, my youngest son, we How were, old is he? He's tw he just turned 12, 12 about a week ago. And we're watching his favorite YouTuber and literally, you know how YouTube would throw out all these ads now, ultra processed food, ad after ad, Taco Bell, you know, Burger King, Pizza Hut, all just constantly some f weird stuff I never even seen before. And all these like cartoon characters, like it is crazy what's being advertised to our children. And by the way, one of the studies that I noted in the book, how impressionable we are as children and what these food manufacturers are doing is their, their goal is not to get a one-time relationship, it's to create lifetime customers. And so they took a bunch of children and they wanted to see the impression of advertisers and using cartoon characters and how that affects children's taste preferences. And so they had the children rate on a five point smiley scale, how many smiley faces, how much they enjoy the cereal. And here's the thing, it was the same cereal, but in one instance, one part of the study, they're given the cereal without a cartoon character on the box. And one time, and the other time they're giving with a cartoon character. And they rated the cereal taste higher when they had a cartoon character on the box. When we walk down that cereal aisle, it is like a freaking carnival. How know? do you suggest that people go grocery shopping in, in a way that is protective from that, just in general? Well, of course, people talk about the perimeter, you know, shop the perimeter, but you know, mainly it's coming into it, understanding what this quote, supermarket you. is. I, I agree with you 100%. It's right. not about shopping the perimeter. It's about having a game plan and knowing exactly what you're interfacing with. Exactly. You know, it looks like there's all this variety on these store shelves, but mo these foods are made from like the same 10 things. You That's know, right. most of it is genetically modified wheat, corn, soy, different sources of sugar. You know, um, you know, maybe there's like, various, maybe a little dabble of like orange is here and there, but it's mostly ultra processed foods. And we're going to eat what we're exposed to. We crave what's in our culture, you know, our, our, our cravings are cultural. And so it's coming in knowing again, what you're going to eat. And the one piece of advice too, it's not a good idea to shop while you're hungry, yeah. you know, because <laughs> you were, you tend to end up with stuff in your cart that you normally wouldn't, you know, oh, this looks good, this looks good. Um, I'm just shopping for a friend. That's that's it. And especially, you know, certain places you go in, you might go in for five things and you end up leaving with, you know, 15 things. I've done that before. You know, you go into Whole Foods, I'm just going to grab something. <laughs> I've got an arm, arms full of stuff. What I really also liked in the book uh, that I learned a lot, and I would love for you to just highlight the, the packaging. How do we store our food? Does it make a difference? Um, whether we're using glass or plastic or aluminum. What, what did you find when you were reviewing all the literature for the book? Wow, well, one stu this study actually just came out uh, just a few months ago, looking at the microplastics and nanoplastics that end up in our food in these quote, microwave safe containers. 
And the researchers found that just like a three centimeter space of that material that you're heating your food up in, in a microwave, for example, was releasing billions of nanoplastics and millions of microplastics into the food. Facts. And most of your containers are not three centimeters, by the way. That's just from that amount of space. And when you hear something like microwave safe, that's not the FDA saying that your food is safe. This is that the that the container is not going to like blow up. It's it, you can put it into the microwave. That doesn't mean that it's safe. And who's looking out for you with all of this stuff? And you know, there's several studies that have found we know about the xenoestrogens, you know, uh, BPA, whatever. But there's BPS. There's different compounds. Even if it's BPA free, there's all these other compounds that effectively work as hormones in your body and fit into certain receptor sites that activate or deactivate programs. And we're into we're we're interacting with something that we don't understand. And we're not routinely testing for it either. It's very difficult unless you're going to a toxicologist or a toxi- toxicology testing to as, even find that in the blood work. Exactly. As a matter of fact, study this was published in clinical and experimental pediatrics and they were looking at the health outcomes in infants that are being bottle yeah. fed. Right. And of course, what's in the bottle can be a factor here as well. But even breastfed, even even breast mm-hmm. milk in these bottles, they were finding BPA metabolites in the infant's urine, not to mention higher levels of triglycerides in these babies, higher levels of VLDL, very low dense lipoproteins, other risk factors for cardiovascular damage as well that they noted in this study. It's just like, what's going on? And knowing again, all of those microplastics that are ending up in formula. Another study found that as well. So with all that being said, we're not trying to you know, scare people straight or scare people into making the right decision. We still have plastic stuff at our house. Yeah. It's not about being neurotic. It's just over time making some changes, right? And so over time, I would get a set of like stainless steel containers for our food or some glass, a glass set and finding what works for you, you know? And so, and I, of course I give different tiers in the book, like, yeah. um, you know, here are some different options, which a lot of times I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that stainless steel containers were a thing because I just grew up with glad, you know, um, plastic containers. Mm-hmm. And so you can get stainless steel that have like um, silicone lids. You can get various glass containers as well. Um, and there's a bunch of ceramic options. There's so many different things that we have access to that a lot of times it can be even cost-effective, but we might not think about it because we're so inundated in this plastic society. So you really try to, so your suggestion would be to minimize plastics, try to go for glass, use ceramics, stainless steel. In the supermarket, if it's high quality, try to avoid, you know, in our house, we get milk out of glass containers. We're in yeah. Texas, they have all kinds of stuff there. What about um, when you were making the recipes, did you choose the foods first for their powerful, whether it's an antioxidant or again, a low molecular weight compound, did you choose the individual foods or did you take recipes that were from tradition? How did you decide? You're the best. How did you know this? So I did both, primarily food first. I took the foods because again, you might learn this cool stuff. I mentioned even about cherries okay, now what? What do I do with them, right? Do I just nibble on cherries? Well, we've got some, for example, cherry frozen yogurt pops, 
right? That the kids I, oh, we are definitely making love them. Yeah, kids love them. Not. You could take this amazing food you just learned about, learned all this cool science on. And what I did was, I know that we have an emoji culture as well. You know, sometimes you could express saw, yeah. an entire conversation with emojis. And so for each of these foods, I put the respective emojis. So for example, with cherries and being a natural source of melatonin, and I shared some data on like, does that actually translate to various health benefits? But you'll see a little sleep emoji next to cherries when we talk about in that section. So now you can eat for a purpose, right? Now we go back to the recipe section, you see the same emoji. And if you're interested in getting in what I call these quote, good sleep nutrients, that's a food you might wanna have, add into your, add into your regimen, you know? And so another thing being that, you know, I've been in this field for, for a while and my first book being Sleep Smarter, um, it really, it was the first sleep wellness book and crazy enough to become an international bestseller. And this was back in like 2015, 2016. And I identified that you can have the most fancy pants, mattress, you know, do all this external sleep stuff, which they all have valid data to back them up and they can be super helpful. But if you have key deficiencies in the nutrients that build sleep related hormones and neurotransmitters, you're gonna struggle with your sleep. And so vitamin C, is even important. And this is PLOS One found some data on this in building sleep-related hormones, helping it in particular to reduce wake after sleep onset. So helping people to wake up less often at night. Uh, vitamin C and vitamin E in particular, those two. And the list goes on and on. So there's a bunch of good sleep nutrients that we've identified. And you know these are featured in the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook as well. So that again, you can eat for a purpose. And so another food really quickly is, I mentioned earlier, when, when I was talking about this, it jumped into my mind, you know, processing a food. So sweet potato, when I said yams earlier, okay, a lot of people know, okay, we could bake a sweet potato, we could, you know, mash it. There's a couple, we maybe can make a hash, right? But being that this food is so remarkable and has these really incredible anthocyanins that have been mm -hmm. found to even affect your memory in a positive way, um, let's turn this potato sweet potato into pancakes. And so I've got these protein sweet yeah, potato I pancakes. Saw, I saw it. don't, yeah. <laughs> it's not lost on me. To increase that protein ratio as well. So we have something that's traditionally a very carb dominant food that you might need a nap after and increasing the, the protein ratio, but also making the basis of the food a real food. Like this is a game changer. Like we love pancakes. You know, my family, we're big foodies. I mentioned the culture that I come from, you know, with being having a lot of great cooks in my family. A lot of times the food wasn't the best as far as like the, the food quality, but making delicious food. So I have that in my DNA into all of my family, even my, my wife, my, my oldest son is a knock you out of your socks. Uh, great cook as well, but um, we're big foodies. And so Another food that I loved growing up was breakfast sandwiches from McDonald's, you know? And um, if I got up in time to make it, and so how can I upgrade this, right? So that was another thing with the recipe based on things we love in our culture, but let's make a higher quality version of that and make it simple. That's the most important part of this. Even as I'm talking about a sweet potato pancake, this doesn't, you don't need 15 ingredients. This is something that we reduce the complexity because it's not necessary. and also implementing strategies like you were mentioning too, like for my family culture, cooking things in batches more often as well. So we have leftovers. So when I make those protein sweet potato pancakes, 
we could put some in the freezer and my son could, you know, warm them up himself before school, right? And so just little simple strategies to take out some of the stress. And also, you know, most importantly, the mission behind the book is bringing us closer together as a family. And last thing I want to share on that is I mentioned earlier, we have to find something of greater or equal value to get buy-in from everybody. And so you know your kids better than anybody. You know what excites them, what de-excites them. We find psychological leverage points. And so for my youngest son, he likes to have a plan. If he knows that we're having family dinner, it's just, it is what it is. But springing it on him, he might, because his mind is like, well, I'm doing this thing. So it's a little bit more complicated. My oldest son is just like, it's whatever, whenever, let's go. Okay, while we're doing this, the cool, let's go. Um, because he's much more sporadic, right? And so knowing that my youngest son, if I want to come in like, oh, we're actually making the switch, I need to know like, how can I get some buy-in right now in this moment? And so it could be, hey, bud, we're having family dinner tonight, actually. Do you want the cherry frozen yogurt pops or the snicker bites for dessert? Oh, okay. I like dessert. <laughs> so, you know, him being able to know like, oh, I have something to look forward to. And also finding those things in your family, building things intentionally, this circles all the way back to what we talked about initially, proactively building a culture of unity. And you have to find out what that is for your family. And so for us, one of the things that we've done over the years is when we sit down to eat together, we all share three things we're grateful for from that day. And it just gets us open. We get to talking. We get to see each other. I get to see my child in front of me without any distractions and see like what's going on. What's, is there any inflections in his voice that might be indicating something? Because a lot of the problems we experience, we allow things to go on too long because we're not paying attention. And we can identify things that might be off or that it may be struggling with if we're there to be present and pay attention. And so the dinner table is a unifier and it's a superpower for families. And so that's what this mission is really all about is, you know, helping to share the science, but also the practicality. Thank you so much. You dropped so many amazing tips, tools, but what I think is so most valuable is hearing where it came from and how it came to be. I think there was probably a lot of reflection and healing and going back into the past and thinking about what you could have done different or how you can now bring some of these things forward. So thank you, thank you so much for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And where can everybody find this? The Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. They can pick it up anywhere that books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite local bookstore as well. And folks can pop over to eatsmartercookbook.com. And we've got some really cool bonuses there. We've got a family health and fitness summit that Amazing. we put together that people get free access to. The ticket for the event is like $300, but you get free access whenever you purchase a copy of the book. And we've got all these incredible experts who have families, who have kids sharing their experience. And so you're not just learning this stuff from me, but a host of other people who figured some things out so we can all learn from each other and really create a movement towards family wellness. Ah, oh, it's wonderful. We'll link everything. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And no patient 
doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.